Well, welcome everyone. Who's excited to be here today? Okay. A little bit of a delayed response, but that's okay. We fell back, right? So we fall back and we're just getting warmed up. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're here in person or online. We're so excited and thankful to be a part of what God is doing in your life and through your life. Even if you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today, that's okay. We do because God drew you here and we're excited that you're here with us. We're smack dab in the middle of a series that we've called Corrupted, which we're looking at developing soul care habits, nourishing our souls in a contaminated world. How do we do that and do it wisely? And we started last week, week one, looking at what is good. We're using one verse as kind of like our baseline for this whole series of kind of where we're going, our roadmaps. And so it's going to be on screen here in just a moment. What I'm going to ask you to do is to read it out loud together with me, and, and we'll kind of dive into where we're going from, from here. So Micah 6, 8 is the verse, and here's what it says. Let's read this together. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Last week, as I mentioned, we dove into that what is good, kind of redefining what is good, how do we focus on that. Pastor Desiree led us through that time, and, and this week is all about focusing on what is right. What, what does that mean, and what does that look like? As I was thinking about it, I was reminded of this moment in time as a junior high student where we were playing with these things. Does anybody know what this is? Oh, yeah. Okay, what is it? Floppy disk. And this is like version 2.0 because this has a, a special plastic case around it. The other ones, the version 1.0, they were larger and they were more floppy. And then they, there was a challenge to use it. See, I remember like being a junior high kid and we were like doing some coding and planning in the interweb before it was like a big thing. And we had to save our progress on our disks. And what would happen inevitably over time is my friend Kyle would grab my disk. He'd, he'd get access to the disk piece and he'd take his fingers and he'd rub it on there. And then what would happen with all my information is it got corrupted. It got contaminated. And if you've ever worked with one of these before, you know that you've got to start over from square one. Once your disk has been contaminated, you've got to start from the beginning and build from there. And so what a great picture for us as we continue to dive into this series called Corrupted and Soul Care. Sometimes we experience moments like that where it feels like someone or something has grabbed our lives, stuck their fingers in it all over the place, Made a mess of it, and now what? Where do we go from here? This is what we're doing in terms of soul care. We're going to be focusing on that phrase, as I already mentioned, what is right. And the big fancy biblical word for what is right or making something right is actually justice. See, justice is all focused on making things right. It's completely a relational term when you look at it from a biblical perspective. It's all about making things right with God and with other people. That's what justice is. But when we think about justice here today in our culture, you know what we think of typically? Getting even. Making sure that somebody pays the penalty that they need to pay because they did something wrong. We have a justice system that's all about penalizing people. Right? But from a biblical perspective, biblical justice is all about restoration. Restoring things relationally between God and humankind and humankind and each other. That's what it means to pursue justice. 
We're going to dive into it a little bit further. If you've got a Bible with you, physical Bible, please open it with me to the book of Amos chapter 5. If you don't have a physical Bible and you want one, come see me after the service. We want to gift you one. We believe it is the best book that's ever been written and ever will be written, and we want it in your world. So if you want one, your own copy, we will gift that to you. If you've got the Bible on your digital device and you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up and a few finger taps. Click on the more section, the events section, and there'll be a Sea Road Live. Click on that. You've got all the sermon notes of where we're going here today, and you can follow along just at your fingertips if you, you so choose. Again, Amos chapter 5 is where we're going to start, starting in verse 21. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not let listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Potent words, Jason. Why do we start there? Well, interestingly enough, let's, let's talk a little bit about Amos. Amos, you imagine being this guy, this prophet of God to deliver this kind of message to people? Uh, just so you know, everything you're doing, uh, God hates that. Yay, how about being that guy? In theological circles, he's, he's given the loving moniker of the doom and gloom prophet. Woohoo! It's like being the COVID pastor. I know some of you call me that because I've only been pastoring you since COVID. So it's a challenge. I get it. Imagine being, being encouraged and asked to deliver this message. It, it's really, really humbling. See, at the outset of, of, of this conversation, here's what I want us to know. God is more concerned about our justice from a relational standpoint, how we are right with God and right with other people than he is with all the activity we can do in the world. He's more concerned with how we are living and pursuing out justice individually and collectively as a group of people than anything else we could ever do. Imagine if there was a group of people that were known for their relational restoration capacities. That's world changing right there. That's, that's life changing. That's community changing. We're going to dive into that a little bit more and talk about three rhythms of justice that I believe Amos invites us into uh, that we can practice, again, individually and collectively. The first rhythm is this, a rhythm of confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. You're going to get a little bit of insider information on what it's like to live in the Frizzell household. Here's the first little tidbit. Now, I have to give you a caveat here because sometimes when I sh share stories about my kids, they kind of they kind of try and figure out which one it is about them. This one's of all of them. So they all share the joy and the blame at the same time, okay? This is going to be fun. Um, one time, what, what happens inevitably in our household is if, if dad is handing down a, a punishment to somebody and one of, the, one of the kids for something that they did, I'll hear this phrase, and maybe it's familiar to you. To you. They'll say something like this, that isn't fair. Anybody heard that before? That isn't fair. To which I reply with this phrase, I don't believe in fair. Now you're going like, wait a minute, that sounds like terrible parenting. What do you mean? If it was fair, you and I would have died for our own sin. See, I believe in what is right. I believe in justice. I don't believe in what is fair. 
What is fair is you and I rightfully would face the consequences for our own sin. That's fair. We don't do that. We don't suffer the full ramification of the consequences of our brokenness or our sin because of Jesus. Instead, you've got Jesus who lived this perfect, blameless life here on earth. Didn't do anything wrong. Didn't wrong anybody. Now, he bristled some feathers because he was supposed to. But he didn't wrong anybody. He didn't sin. And yet he bore the entire weight of sin for all of existence, past, present, and future, so that he could make things right with you and I and our creator. That's justice. I believe in justice. I don't believe in fair. I believe in making things right. My kids hate it when I say that, but I want them to understand that we live in a culture, that's, that's our version of justice. We want to make it fair. And you can't make it fair. It's impossible to make it fair. You can make it right. You can restore things. And that's all that Jesus is about. I want to talk about this practice of confession and how it interacts with our, our health and well-being of our souls. Confession is understanding who makes things right. We can't make it right on our own. There's nothing that you and I could do to the best of our ability with all that we have at our, at our you know, exposure and at our fingertips that, can, that we could do to try and make things right with God. Without Jesus, nothing is made right. And so the practice of confession is learning and understanding that we need God to move in our lives. That we need him to, to give us freedom and hope and forgiveness and all of those things. The problem is... There are times where you and I live with unconfessed sin in our lives. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that it's there. And, and when we do that, slowly and surely, there's a little bit of a toxin that gets integrated into our very soul. Unconfessed sin. And then we want God to move and bless us and grant us favor and all those great things. But, but there's this thing that's growing inside us. Let's call it a tumor that is pushing God out and making room for itself and not for his presence. Part of having a healthy soul is practicing the habit of confession, admitting when you've made a mistake, asking for forgiveness, pursuing that relational, holistic restoration. But the truth is, sometimes we just don't make time for it. We'll get around to it, we forget about it, and meanwhile, under the surface, it's bubbling and it's brewing. And it's invading the way we think. It's invading the way we, we talk. It's invading the way we live. And we've got to take time to dig into it and understand that we've got we to be confessing some of these attitudes and habits and things that we say that just aren't Christ-like. And I believe that that's what Amos is getting at here, just going like, look, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't, I don't care with your pretense. I'm looking at the heart. What's your motivation behind what you're doing, how you're engaging, how you're interacting with people? And there are times where I've looked back at my life, and I haven't, I haven't done a good job at confessing, admitting when I'm wrong, admitting when I need help. That's the stage one of our soul care nourishing time that we could dive into. It starts with confession. Are we willing to admit when we need Jesus, when we've made a mistake, we've done something wrong, so that we can embrace all that Jesus has already done 
making it right between us and God. Walking into that freedom and that forgiveness. Now, speaking of forgiveness, let's talk about that for a little bit. One of the other things in my uh, family that one of my kids has been known most prominently to say when there's this relational breakdown or somebody does something wrong and whatever, and then there's a pursuit of forgiveness or confession, there's this phrase that bubbles up from time to time, and, and the phrase is this, well, sorry doesn't help. Yes, it does. It's a bridge builder. It's a bridge builder. Sorry does help. It's, it's that, that equalization moment where, where both parties recognize that something has gone awry and they need to move forward together from that space. Here's the funny thing about forgiveness. Sometimes we'd rather have people feel the weight of the impact of the hurt that they've caused us than walk in freedom. We want to get even. And so we withhold forgiveness because we're like, I'm going to do some damage, make them feel a little bit of what they caused on me by, by not forgiving them, and, and, and then they're going to suffer. But the truth is, we're the only ones that suffer. Because that unforgiveness, just like that unconfession, whittles it, its way inside our souls and begins to erode and decay it. Like a, like a cavity in a tooth. Slowly and surely, over time, it gets bigger, and it festers, and it causes chaos and a lot of calamity when we leave it in that state. So when Amos is reminding the, the Israelites and, and us here today about this whole wave of justice, what he's talking about is like, look, we got to be good at confessing and forgiving. And here's the thing about forgiveness. Do you know that God forgave us? He forgave us even before we've asked for forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we, are, if we confess our sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That forgiveness is already there. It's already available. We can access it any time of day, any moment that we happen to be facing any reality, any hurt, any pain, we can access it. So then why do we withhold the forgiveness that we've so freely experienced from the world around us? What could it look like if we would flip the script and instead of waiting for that moment when somebody asks to be forgiven, we first forgive so that there's no shred of unforgiveness or unconfessed sin that whittles its way, burrows its way into our heart, our mind, and our soul, and creates, creates a, a cancer that causes decay. What if you and I could choose to live like that? That's really hard. I got a list of people in my life that have been really hard to forgive because they said some really dumb things, or they did some really dumb things, or they're still saying and doing some really dumb things. And that's the thing with forgiveness. It's not a one-time thing. Sometimes it's frequently, moment by moment. I have had to forgive one person more than once in five minutes. Crazy. But if we live our lives with any unconfessed sin or unforgiveness, our souls are beginning to decay and become unhealthy. And then a challenge arises. We're going to call this rhythm number two when it comes to our soul care. 
and making it right. Silencing the inner critic. Silencing the inner critic. Well, Jason, what's the inner critic? See, out of the overflow of our heart, our soul, our mouth speaks. So when there's this unresolved stuff internally inside of us, whether that's unconfessed sin or unforgiveness that we haven't been extending to anybody, all of a sudden that, that, that growth, that tumor, that cancer overwhelms us and begins to erode our every core and being of our lives. And before we know it, we start getting this inner critic that's really, really, really negative to ourselves and to other people. And we start thinking weird and stupid thoughts. We start thinking like this person isn't worth it and this person and that person and this person. Oh, they're outside of God's love. And, this, and we start categorizing people. And we think that there's people too far from God's reach. Sometimes we think we're too far from God's reach because we're believing this inner narrative that's just a lie. And over time, this, this inner critic, if we don't put that in check, becomes our outer critic and starts spilling out and spewing onto the lives of people through what we say and what we do. And it creates calamity and chaos wherever we go. And more brokenness and more brokenness and more detachment and disconnection from God and from other people. Instead of pursuing justice, making it right with God and other people. So how do you know, Jason, that your inner critic has become your outer critic? What's, what's a telltale sign that you've reached that crescendo moment? If people don't want to spend time with you, it's probably because your inner critic has become your outer critic. Like, you know, when you're trying to get them on the phone and they keep ghosting you and you know that they're ghosting you because you're sitting in their driveway and you can see them through the windows in their house and they're still declining your calls, your inner critic has become your outer critic. And here's the thing about criticism. In our world today, it's all over the place. You got food critics. You got media critics. You've got critics of critics. And we celebrate and we say, oh, criticism, it's a gift. I've read the Bible more than a few times. I have yet to find the spiritual gift of criticism. It's not in there. I grew up in the church and we had this well-meaning older individual who would re regularly find me and pull me aside and want to give me a piece of encouragement. It was disguised in the form of criticism. It was not encouragement at all. See, criticism is about control. Encouragement is about freedom. Criticism is about control. Encouragement is about freedom. And there's freedom in forgiveness. And the problem is when you and I allow our inner critic to run the show, it becomes an outer critic. And that outer critic creates chaos and calamity wherever it goes. This is why soul care is so important. This is why confession and extension of forgiveness is so important. And sometimes we have to learn to forgive ourselves. Because we've done things to ourselves that aren't healthy, that have eroded the health and well-being of our soul. We're engaged in activities that, that pull us away from God. We give ourselves completely over to our brokenness instead of trusting that God can work in us and through us despite our brokenness. And so we've got to understand that if we don't silence this inner critic, it's going to become an outer critic. And it's going to get harder and harder for us to breathe, 
to move, to live, to become who God has created us to be. Not impossible, but hard. There's a third rhythm to this justice pursuit, this making it right pursuit that I want to talk about. It's not Jesus, or it's not justice if Jesus isn't in it. It's not justice if Jesus isn't in it. We can have all the good intentions in the world. We could do all these wonderful things. But without Jesus, there is no justice. It's just activity. It's just pretense. It's a temporary satiation of something that's really, really more than just one moment in time. It's larger than that. And unless Jesus is involved in it, it's not going to last. In the book of Matthew, there's this most famous time uh, talk or sermon that Jesus gives. It's contained in three different chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's like at the beginning of the time where he is his doing what we call his public ministry. And he talks about, here's where we're headed. Here's our roadmap. Here's what I'm about, what we're going to be doing, all that kind of stuff. And he invites people to come along on the adventure. Here's what he has to say about justice from that very talk that he gives way back in the day. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Let me read that one more time. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, making it right with God and with other people, relational restoration, for they will be satisfied. When we are encountering a season of unsatisfaction or dissatisfaction in our lives, maybe it's because Jesus is no longer in it. Maybe we've decided to take over things and and put it under our own control, our own banner, our own pursuits, and we've left Jesus on the sideline trying to, trying to make his, his, maybe it was good intentions, like, well, we don't want to overwhelm Jesus. Jesus can't be overwhelmed. We don't want to make it harder in him. He, you can't make it harder on Jesus. You only make it harder on you. Jesus doesn't care about this part of my life. He sure does. I'm not sure he's got the solution. Yeah, he does. And sometimes we, we move forward without Jesus intentionally or unintentionally. And then we wonder why we get to, to this place in our lives where we feel like we, we don't belong. We're disconnected. We're, we're not living well. We're not experiencing health and full well, well-being. We're not satisfied. Is Jesus a part of it? Because without Jesus, there's no justice. There's no hope. There's no life. There's something that uh, each human being has ever existed, is in existence, or will exist, will experience from God on a, on a moment-by-moment basis, and that's blessing. A blessing is something that God showers upon us that we didn't do anything to earn, or we don't even deserve. Like, like the sun coming up every morning, even when we can't see it behind the clouds, it's still rising and setting, like seasons, like opportunities, things of that nature. But there's a difference between God's blessing and God's favor. When it comes to God's favor, God's favor is about his presence living, moving, and breathing in us moment by moment. 
And that part of who he is is reserved for people who actually want to pursue right connection, making it right with, with him. That's what it's reserved for. We, want, we wonder sometimes why, why God isn't blessing us. God is blessing you. He might not be doing what you think that he should be doing. He's blessing you, but maybe you're living outside of God's favor. You haven't invited his presence to move in your life in one area or another, and instead you're trying to figure it out on your own, and you're wondering why you continue to get stuck. You're wondering why it feels like you're smashing your face against a brick wall. You're wondering why there's no healing or restoration. Maybe it's just because Jesus isn't actually invited to be in that space with you. Maybe there's some residual unconfessed sin. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that's burrowed its way into your soul. Maybe your inner critic has become so loud you don't even know what's true anymore. All I'm saying and all Amos is reminding us of is that without Jesus, there isn't justice. If you want to live a satisfied life, not, not, a, not a life that is you know, completely without pain, not a life that gives you all the things you've ever wanted. I'm talking about the satisfaction that you crave. The purpose, the meaning, the depth, all of those things. It's only found rooted in Jesus. And I can't help but think as we dive deeper into this whole corrupted series that maybe you and I need to get into the habit of implementing these rhythms more creatively and more purposefully in our lives. Maybe it starts with confessing. Here's the thing about confession. We, we sometimes think that we can hide pieces of ourselves from God. We can from other people, but he sees everything. So it's not going to surprise him when you say, hey, Jesus, here's what I've been up to. He'll be like, oh, yeah, really? I never knew. No, he sees it. He already knows. He's waiting to deliver you from that moment. All you need to do is ask. And maybe we start there with confession. Maybe it's the extension of forgiveness. And I get it, man. When somebody hurts you, you want to hurt them back. You want to make it right. You want to make it even. But the truth is, you and I, we've hurt Jesus by sometimes how we live. And how he interacts with us is he offers forgiveness instead of hatred. He offers an extension of hope instead of despair. And maybe we have to get into the habit and the routine of being able to forgive more freely than we ever have. And for some of us, that might be digging back a couple of decades to somebody who has never approached us asking for our forgiveness, and instead of harboring that internally, we just have to extend it. Just like Jesus who extends forgiveness to everybody despite what they have done, are doing, or will do. And when we're able to do that, we can actually experience what true freedom is like. Maybe it's recognizing that we have allowed our inner critic to become something more dominant than it should be. And maybe we've got to start there. 
beating back that voice with the voice of truth and the voice of hope. And maybe that those moments where our inner critic has become our outer critic and created opportunities of chaos, we can see them as invitations to practice forgiveness and confession. Or maybe we need to kind of drill down and understand that Jesus wants all of us. I've already sung this through worship here today. We talked about Jesus taking it all, all of our lives, our life in his hands, every square millimeter of who we are. And maybe what that's going to look like is instead of just kind of hanging out with Jesus on a Sunday or every other day when you do devotions or whatever your routine looks like, per time over meals, it's inviting Jesus into every single moment of your day, like your work commute. When there's nobody in the front seat beside you, you say, hey, Jesus, that seat's for you today. When you're making your lunch for the next work day, maybe you're like, hey, Jesus, pass me the mayo. Let's do this together. When you're taking a walk, when you're watching something on television, when you're listening to a podcast, when you're going and coming from places, you're inviting Jesus into all of those moments with increased intensity and increased capacity. And sometimes what's healthy is using an outside stimulant, I could call it that. Something else that can help you understand and process what God is doing or wants to do in your life in a real meaningful way. I want to share one of these with you that I've been using recently courtesy of my friend Curtis. My friend Curtis texted me out of the blue one day. He was like, dude, you got to check this resource out. It's amazing. I'm like, I ain't going to check it out. You're crazy, dude. It's the best thing I've ever done. You got to get it. I was like, I'm not getting it. And then, a, you know, a week later I ordered it. It's a, it's a gospel meditations for everyday life by an author called Paul David Tripp. And what it's been helpful for me, in addition to my regular time with Jesus in prayer, reading the Bible, is borrowing the words of somebody who's articulated something that I've had a difficulty, I've had difficulty doing so for quite some time. And I can borrow his words and I can use it as prayer points or conversation points with Jesus. And I found it to be increasingly helpful in an everyday moment-by-moment life basis to have Jesus begin to permeate other pieces of my space, my thought life, my practices that I thought he was already present in, but now he's even showing up more so. And maybe it's using something like this or something that is available that you've been using before or, or a good friend who's not critical but actually encouraging has encouraged you to go get. And maybe it's using something like that to stimulate some growth in your relational connection with Jesus. All I know is this. Amos is pretty clear. God wants to see a flood of justice and a river of righteous living. Imagine what that could look like for the region that we call home here in Brockville and surrounding area. If the family of God would step up and step into all that God has in mind for them 
to be a part of this flood of justice. Restoring relationship with God the creator and the rest of humankind. By the way we choose to live and breathe and move. On a daily moment by moment basis. I can't help but think that that, that's not only world changing, that's life changing. And that would be a little bit of that kingdom here on earth that Jesus reminds us about later on in his life. God's desire to see all of humankind restored to right relationship with him and with other people. And begins with how we take care of our souls. So maybe in these next few moments as we pray and we close our time together, maybe we have to start in one of those spaces. Maybe we have to start somewhere else. My encouragement is this. Just start. Just start. And if you're like, well, I've already started, keep going. Keep going. And let's let God do what only he can do. He can make all things right. In his time and in his way. Let's pray. Father, I'm ever so grateful that we have the opportunity to call you dad. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have. And we celebrated today just a little taste of what that means for us. We can gather together in this space, health restrictions or not, and it's still a wonderful opportunity that not everybody in our planet has the, has the privilege to do. So we're grateful. Father, we're also grateful that you've given us souls that we can care for. And I confess that there have been times that I have neglected mine. I just haven't even focused on it. And I've allowed unforgiveness and I've allowed unconfession to kind of burrow their way into my heart and my mind. And I've created more chaos than I have peace or calm or hope. And Lord, in those moments, I know that you've forgiven me and I'm so grateful that I can walk in freedom. Father, I thank you that you also invite us to relinquish control through criticism and instead embrace freedom through encouragement. Father, I pray if any of us here in this space or tuning in online, if that resonates with us, that we would have the courage to invite you into those unfolding narratives so that you can silence the untruth, replace it with truth, and allow us to be the men and women that you've called us to be, people of hope, light bearers, relational restorers in the name of Jesus by the way we choose to live and breathe and move. And Father, sometimes we just need to be reminded that every square millimeter of our lives has got to be saturated in your presence. And it seems like an overwhelming task. Would you lovingly and gently remind us that you're already present there? We just need to acknowledge that you are with us. Every moment of our lives, the greatest pains, the greatest joys, the triumphs, the trials, the tribulations, everything in between, you are there. And we thank you that you provide us a way forward in the midst of all those hurdles and those challenges. Father, we want to be known as a people of hope and a people of peace because of you. Not because of what we are doing, but because of you. So would you move freely in this space? Would you move freely in our lives? Would you draw us deeper into your presence so that we can actively participate in what you're doing here in our world, here in our region? Father, would you bless us and protect us? 
Would you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor and grant us your peace? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.